There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, my name's Stuart Marza and welcome to the Pocalent Podcast. This week's been the IAA Mobility Show in Munich in Germany. The popular car show, which was returned as an in-person event following last year's hiatus, saw the industry announce a number of new cars, as well as showcase their visions of how we'll be driving in the future. Pocalint's Mike Lowe attended the event and joins us to tell us all about the announcements that matter. And with the hot weather set to continue, we've been talking to barbecue makers Charbroil to find out whether tech is invading or helping our favorite cooking pastime, and what are the latest trends in the world of garden cooking. And finally, Pocalint's Rick Henderson is here to give us his verdict on the latest Nintendo Switch game to grace the console's screen. WarioWare Get It Together is a co-op game worth getting. Well, stay tuned to find out. But first, tell us more about your travels to Germany, Mike. So, got on a plane, which um, is unusual and exciting and complex. Um, So, from one form of transport to another or a variety of others, um, this show is all about, roughly speaking, cars. Um, And obviously, various European legislation in place, um, electrification is, is the big, big deal. And that ultimately is what various manufacturers showed off in formats from feasible to see it soon through to a little bit wacky and maybe it'll come out in different format in the next decade or so. So so let's start with the feasible see it soon. Was there any manufacturer like car manufacturer that dominated the show with something, you know, a new car that's just about to come out that's exciting or was it kind of all very much the muchness? Um, it's a big mixture. So given this is in Munich, it's very much, it's the IAA, which is a German uh, word I can't remember exactly what it is <laughs> German for my expression um, and obviously there's a lot of German manufacturers that are pretty major Mercedes Audi and, and so forth um, Mercedes was probably the biggest on on the show floor just in terms of here comes the next gen um, of electric cars there was the EQE which is basically an electric e-class um, there's an EQB which is like a electrified mid-range mid-size SUV and um, then they kind of got a bit more playful and there was uh, an EQG notice the the theme here Mm. uh, which is the the G class which is like the big wagon um, but in electric form which took on quite that's only a concept but it took on quite a different look so it's got that big rugged kind of tall um, vision about it and yet it's kind of got no front grill because it doesn't need one because electrics so that all lights up in blue and it's got these kind of slightly dare say cute kind of eyes so quite a quite a big mix from what is going to be right around the corner to you know imminent ish now there was a number of uh concepts uh which you've done a feature for us on pocket lenton so you can see the pictures there if you it's hard to visualize mike talking about it but what really caught your eye in the concepts like what's are these just crazy stuff that we're going to see in the future um I don't. I think there used to be slightly crazier things, to be honest. In in the past, um, like the big first reveal was from BMW. Um, they have a series called the iVision, which is always this kind of future-looking kind of idea. Um, this one they call the Circular, um, 
the reason being it's all about circular economy obviously sustainability is a big big deal big sort of buzz um at the moment and something people are you know genuinely interested in trying to you know look after our future lives in different ways right um and this is kind of it's a little bit like the i3 which has just been discontinued um in a bigger kind of four-seater format whether you'll see it in kind of 2040 as an autonomous kind of self roaming kind of vehicle who knows but um that's kind of their their stable that they laid out at the very beginning of the show now one of the ones that caught my eye from the show was the polestar precept concept that i mean that looks like an aston martin db7 advantage Uh, a little bit not i don't know i think it looks more i mean again look at the pictures but um in a minute we'll talk about audi because i think their new concept looks even more aston like um but the polestar it's um it should really be, a, you know, it's a precept. It's it's something that probably will be not a million miles down the line as a real car. Um, this was actually announced uh, at what would have been the Geneva show in 2020, but obviously that show didn't happen. Um, so it was a really good opportunity to finally get to see it um, mm. after such a long period of time, really. Um, nicely set out on their stand, which is right in the middle of Munich. Um, no sort of distractions around it which is quite refreshing and uh, I think it's the kind of thing that when it becomes a real car whatever that name will be because Polestar has a, a numbering system one two three and so on um, it's kind of like an Audi GT e-tron competitor perhaps um, like you say it's got an air of Aston or similar about it and that's perhaps that kind of market area they're, they're pushing for and it looks great I think or certainly from the front anyway and so you were talking about Audi. What's what what excited you about about their stand and, and their reviews? Well, they, they didn't really have a proper stand. They were in the middle of town again. So obviously the show is um, you know it's a press show, but then it becomes a public um, opening as well. So people around Munich can can go and look, they can get tickets and so forth. Um, sometimes having a totally isolated stand really gives you a lot of focus. Um, and the Audi one literally has nothing but what they call the grand sphere, which has a very sort of grand name. Um, and it does look really quite amazing. Um, it's probably a concept version of what will be an all-electric A8 uh, much later down the line. Um, if anyone can visualise that kind of super long wheelbase, the kind of high flyer, you sit in the back being the CEO kind of type car. Right. Um, and yeah, it looks, uh, it looks very much... Now, one of the, one of the things I'm, I'm curious about, and, and you kind of get to see this when you go to a, a, a trade show more than just sort of looking at pictures on, on the side, was there any trends that kind of came out of the show? The, it's looking at the concept pictures and some of the other pictures that, you know, you've, of some of the cars that you've seen and stuff. There seems to be the, still this real mix of not understanding and not 100% sure of what to do with the front grille anymore. <laughs> um, you know, because some like Polestar have got rid of it. Obviously, Tesla have got rid of it. You know, um, some of the ID the ID range from VW, they don't really have grills either. But then, you know, looking at Audi and and the G wagon and you know some of the other things are like, oh no, there's still a we're still going to make it. Obviously, BMW as well. There's a whole premise is about their front grill. Yeah. And um, so, what are they doing with that? Is there like any trends that you've seen like that that just are still confusing people? Um, I think it probably comes down to kind of just designers um, kind of open allowance to do as they please when it's a concept idea because what you're kind of largely seeing is anything that says concept on it has a really playful front grille it might light up it may show various symbols or images that change and, and so forth 
generally speaking, when it comes to final production, you're probably going to see either something that's flat or various bits of plastic arranged in a kind of aerodynamic form or just something that's visually striking. Um, so I think that's probably going to remain confusing to some degree until there's, you know, EVs become more normal on the roads. But at the minute, it's kind of that playful area where I suppose car designers are saying, oh, this is kind of, we can treat this differently. It's in a different department now. So let's, let's play around with it and do something really exciting or different um, to make people look. But when it actually becomes an on-the-road kind of vehicle, I don't think it's going to be quite as uh, as out there as, as we're seeing at this stage. And the final question I have is, is obviously we focused very much on the EV side of things because we're a tech site and, and that's what we feel is important and exciting. It, overall, is it, was that the main message from the show? Is, is Are there still some petrol cars kicking around or is it electric and everything electric? Unless they were like super old, old school, exciting ones from say sixties or something that they've kind of they're showing off, um, you know, past history and where various influences come from. It's almost entirely electrified now. Um, there's very little in between it, and that's down to really different deadlines that are very, uh, very imminent. Really, by 2025 or so, most car companies are going to be focused on perhaps not full EV at that point, but certainly everything in most ranges will be electrified in some format. Um, and there were things on the floor like the Renault Megane E-Tech, which is actually just really quite a normal looking car. It's, you know, solid, decent. And, and that kind of, in a way, is the, the face of what to expect in a more kind of real prospect. So, yeah, it was almost entirely EV. There was a few little bits here and there. Um, BMW showed off its um, iX5 in a hydrogen format, um, which hopefully in the future will get some more infrastructure support around this country and certainly others as well which are supporting it slightly better and um, because actually later down the line that very much might become the dare say even more sensible alternative to um, electric which at the minute is the one horse that we're really backing still to come rick gives us his verdict on wario get together for the nintendo switch all it'll say is all it'll say is something like tweeze and you suddenly realize you have to get rid of the arm hairs from a statue whether you like charcoal or gas, the sunny weather always brings with it an excuse to have a barbie. But in the fast-paced tech world we live in, has the humble barbecue grill on your patio become a tech battlefield? I recently caught up with Luke Hopkins, Charbroil's UK National Sales Manager, to talk about whether tech is changing the industry, how we're cooking in our garden, and whether barbecuing has what it takes to battle the onslaught of those trendy pizza ovens we see everywhere today. I started by asking him how barbecues have developed in recent years to incorporate technology. Gas barbecues have developed considerably in recent years. Uh, the demand for flexible and reliable barbecues uh, to cook all year round is something that's definitely needed uh, in the marketplace at the moment. And so that's, I suppose, one of the things is that we probably traditionally believe that it's sunny, you fire up a barbecue and, you know, throw some coals on it or, or press the igniter button and go from there. So how has, over the years, how has that changed and how have you had to adapt with what you do at Charbroil? It's, it's definitely changed. Um, people are cooking all year round now. Um, so the technology has had to adapt with that over the, the last couple of years since I've been doing barbecues myself. Uh, the Charbroil's true infrared cooking system uh, that has its emitter plate that, that turns out the normal burner that goes onto your cast iron grills, which a, a normal barbecue would have. Uh, the heat then hits the emitter plate and then spreads the heat evenly across the barbecue. So you don't get the flare-ups, uh, you don't get um, charcoal sort of food, uh, and the food comes out 50% juicier because the smoke is then radiant heat going into the food. 
rather than just sort of loose into the air and burning and crisping your barbecue food up. So that's definitely one technology that works. And so how, from a technology point of view, how did, how, how did someone come up with it? Just like, oh, yeah, let's do this. Or is there like, you know, years it, of, of, of it, testing it, and research that goes into this? I, I believe it's years, yes. The Charbroil family over in the US um, have definitely spent a lot, a lot of time uh, and a lot of investment to, to get the barbecues to where they are at the moment in Charbroil. Uh, and that's definitely, definitely working. So um, it's a, a lot of uh, technology beyond my capabilities in that one. Now, a lot of people, when they think of technology, think of turning things smart and connecting to the internet and stuff. Do you, are we? Is this something that we're seeing in in barbecue technology of of that need to to have a, a connected barbecue? Yeah, when it comes to barbecue, it's it's quite different. We've got the people that barbecue that are really into the latest tech, um, and that that's becoming bigger every year. Um, then, then there's obviously the small gardens, the big party hosts, or people that take it seriously. Uh, People only want gas, people only want charcoal. So uh, there's a, a broad spectrum um, of technology that goes into changing these barbecues to fit the needs of sort of the, the mass market in the barbecue world, but obviously cater for the individual parties as well. So uh, it, it, it's, it's definitely a growing thing and a lot of investment from different brands are all sort of taking on that, that challenge at the moment. Now, one of the technologies we have seen within this space over the recent years is, is companies like Meter, um, doing sort of you know internet connected or bluetooth connected thermostats um, yeah. how does that factor into something you know to charbor experience in that sense of do you think cookers you know do you think barbecuers are, are kind of trying to go into that space and if so how do you kind of help them uh, when it comes to that it's when when meat or, or charbroil or, or any of the other big brands in the, in the barbecue world what they're trying to do is, is make cooking easy flexible and obviously the new thermometers that are coming out that connect up and the, you can leave the probe in while you're cooking something low and slow for the next four hours or five hours of your day um, this technology is increasing to a point where you can actually program it to cook and when it's done it will beep in your pocket on your mobile phone so this technology is increasing a lot um, over the last couple of years and it's, it's definitely taking a hand for the market and 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 on that side of things what what kind of trends are we seeing you, you talked about people wanting to cook all year round and yeah. you know are we seeing is there other trends that if you're a keen barbecue you should be aware of there is trends coming out so it's, it's more low and slow so the smoking aspect of putting smoking wood chips into your barbecue whether it's a gas barbecue charcoal barbecue or, or something similar to our gas to coal barbecue um, it's where you put the wood chips in some water for at least 40 minutes and then you can put them in the corner of your barbecue and then they'll smoke your food. So you can do that on your, your pork sausage with some apple wood chips or something like that. And it's really simple, but it gives that extra flavor to your barbecue that you wouldn't generally get from a, a normal, uh, just turning the burners on and off you go. Um, and what do you think is going to be the next big thing with barbecues? Where's it, where's it going? I think pellet grills is probably the way forward. Um, but we're a couple of years off in the UK yet, but in the US that market is, is definitely increasing uh, across the US and Europe. Uh, and we are a few years away, but I think it, there'll be a big thing. So pellet grills are little pellets that you put in the back, you light them, uh, and then that pushes heat into your barbecue. So there'll be no more sort of charcoal or anything like that, and it will just go from these pellet wood chips. And, and and those that are worried about sustainability, you know, we're being told that, you know, we've obviously got to all do our bit to reduce our, uh, the energy consumption that we use. And obviously, gas barbecues are, are powered by gas. Do, do you see 
in the future that there'll be different ways of of powering uh, you know our barbecues that aren't charcoal or aren't gas yeah there is there is other ways there's the pellet grills as i just spoke about and then obviously there's electric as well that's another form that we're using uh, it, there is a few barbecues on the market we've got it in our all-star barbecue at the moment um and I'm sure over time there'll be a development for maybe, I don't know, a solar-powered barbecue. Who knows what's going to happen? And in terms of, of what people are buying, um, is it, you know, is, people like to say, you know, you talk to some people and they say, you know, I'm, I'm only ever going to use charcoal. That's, you know, that's how it goes. Or, or other people go, well, I just like the, you know, the simplicity of, of gas. Is there, is there any, like, what's the best-selling barbecue around i mean what what do people really go for let's let's yeah, sort this our, argument our, out once and for all our best selling barbecue in the uk and across europe is actually a gas to coal hybrid barbecue um, ah, so the best it, of both worlds it's the best of both worlds so you've got uh, the convenience of just putting the gas bottle on attaching it and off you go uh, cook your food and then also you can use charcoal as well so you can it's got a little tray takes a couple of seconds to pop it in put your charcoal inside you can light it with your gas burner so it makes life easy easier so you're not standing there prodding the charcoal for 20 minutes about 15 minutes all your charcoal will be the gray color ready to go um, and then you can be cooking on charcoal so depending on whether you want gas or charcoal or depending what day of the week it is uh, you might want to change it up so that's something that's definitely working for us uh, at charbrol uh, with our best selling line the, the gas to coal and in terms of you know trends in the garden we're seeing a lot of people now interested in in pizza ovens in the garden how is that kind of, do you think that's a fad? How has that affected sort of the barbecue experience? Yeah, it's interesting that you asked that actually about the pizza stones because eight years ago, pizza cooking in your garden on a pizza stone was, was the thing to do. That definitely dropped off over the years uh, and it seems to be having a little comeback. So I think maybe going forward, uh, that might be something. So there's, there's definitely pizza ovens out there. Um, I'm not sure whether the larger units would be good again, like they used to be but yeah, definitely the small sort of pellet pizza ovens and you get the little gas ones that sort of tabletop they're called um, they're definitely making their way back into the market nintendo is continuing its bring back theme with the launch of new game that sees wario return to his usual no good tricks in wario where get it together but is this collection of mini games enough to get you to part with your cash or has nintendo just merely started to cash in on old titles and characters for the sake of it Pogolins Rick Henderson has been playing the game ahead of the official release to tell us more. <laughs> well, um, the, the first thing about this WarioWare game is it's the first new WarioWare game in, in quite a while. Um, I think it was about 2008 on the Wii was the last one that wasn't a rehash of old mini games and or a compilation of sorts. Um, so uh, obviously that meant that this was uh, much, uh, much anticipated amongst Nintendo fans. Of course, it's also the first WarioWare game on the Nintendo Switch. Mm. Um, so I kind of went into it expecting to use all of the Nintendo Switch's many different abilities, such as motion control um, with the Joy-Cons, maybe a bit, because the one big thing about it is it adds co-op play for the first time. So I thought you'd have one person with a motion controller and another person with a motion controller. Yeah. However, that that hasn't been implemented oh. at all. There's no motion control. Um, there's no t- use of the touchscreen, which is a little bit weird, or at least it seemed that way until I kind of got it into it more. And the reason why I say that is because when you get into it, you suddenly realize 
this is a game developed not just for the standard switch which you can have on your tv or using the uh the joy cons yeah but also the switch Lite. now of course if you added all the extra controls for you wouldn't be able you to for example to, yeah have the joy cons on a switch light so um essentially they've kept it simple it's a button pressing game but if you've ever played a warioware game in the past um you'll be aware that it's a an overarching game that contains 200 or so mini games and each of those mini games only last at most about four seconds oh my goodness yeah, and the beauty of the game, and what has always been great with WarioWare games, is that the game is about trying to figure out what you have to do within that time and then doing it. So the games are phenomenally simple, like jump here and press that button, or or. Um, but it doesn't. Sort of like, but it doesn't tell you yeah, before you get in exactly. there. Exactly. So all it'll say is. All it will say is something like tweeze, and you suddenly realise you have to get rid of the arm hairs from a statue. Um, but you but you don't know. And so there's a lot of replayability simply in going back to levels that you didn't figure out to before. So does that get frustrating, though? Or is that the point? It, I think that is the point. I mean, it's meant to be mad. Adding two players to the mix is brilliant because that means that uh, there's... Uh, one great thing about this version of WarioWare is, is, is scalability. You can play the entire thing in single player, but because you can also play it in co-op, the, the levels, even though they're exactly the same minigame, do change a little bit so that you can have two characters on screen and then you have to then you have different kind of dynamics. For example, on some of them, one player will have to press a button that then releases the other player. Or or um or only one of you has to do the action. But because you're playing two different characters, one of you might have a better character for that action. So, um, so it adds an, a, a, an all new, I uh, uh, sort of like expands the concept somewhat. Um, the other thing they added for the Nintendo Switch version, which I really love, is that previous WarioWare games you only really got to play as Wario. So yeah. um, you had one skill set, and you just carried on with that. This one, you get to play with Wario and all of the characters that pretty much have appeared over all the previous games. So, And each one has a different ability. One might just constantly be jumping, um, and you can't stop them jumping. But, of course, that will change the dynamic of the mini game that they're playing. And every single one of these characters also can play every single mini game. So, again, those mini games are changing depending on the character's ability. A very clever concept. Replayability might be an issue in the fact that once you've completed every single every single uh, mission, you kind of know what you're doing. You're not hugely going to get surprises, right? Um, but it's because still because it's, a, it's a simple puzzle solver. Effectively, so once you've solved the puzzle, you know what you're doing. And yeah, essentially. And the other thing to point out is it, uh, the main thing is a story mode, which then unlocks other modes of the game and, in fact, all the other characters. And the story mode is really short. So, you know, you're not you're not finding an awful lot of play in that story mode for your money, to be honest. Although the other modes, there's there's one called a, um, a variety mode, which um, gives you longer minigames sort of like a, a more extended mini games that you can play with up to four players locally. So where I actually see um, WarioWare get together's best aspect is in couch co-op. 
So when you've got either two, three or four people around and just going mad bonkers crazy, it's a brilliant family game. It's really good fun. And so the co-op means you'd have to have three or four consoles with the same game and you could, and you could do that way rather than you, you can't share, but you're playing at the same time. Well, here, here's the thing. Yeah, it doesn't work out online, so you're not playing online, although there is an online aspect in the fact that there's one mode with leaderboards that you can post online. But um, the, main part, the main part of the game is it's all local co-op. So you either need a standard switch with four Joy-Cons or you need uh, four switches for (laughs) four-player co-op, but you can connect locally. So if you've only got a switch light in the house, you will need another person with another switch to be in the same location. Would you recommend it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, most Nintendo games are are quite expensive. Um, They're they're priced very highly, um, possibly, and very rarely do you ever get discounts on them either. Whereas WarioWare is priced a bit more uh, within a budget sense for Nintendo. Um, so I would say that it's it's probably, you know, it's value. you do get value for money. Just don't expect to buy it as a single player and think you're going to get an awful lot of gameplay out of it because you'll probably get bored after a couple of days. Buy it with the idea that you're buying it for a family get-together or when you've got all your friends around. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, Pip Pip. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.